Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello again. Now I'm terribly sorry for the delay, but my power company decided that yesterday was the day to replace some power lines around my house. And for those that don't know, it's incredibly hard to research, write, and record a podcast without electricity. I have no idea how the Amish do it. But all that is behind us now, and I have a great show lined up for you guys this evening. But before we launch into it, I just wanted to remind everyone that Cryptid Crate Backstock is still on sale. You can pick up $70 to $80 worth of cryptid goodies for only $33.99. And the best part is that you get to pick what you want. I have several crates from the past few months, so take advantage while you can. Visit www.cryptidcrate.etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y, or simply follow the link on tonight's show notes to get yours today. Remember... Shipping to the U.S. is always free. Okay, no more plugs. Let's get spooky. Sometimes a call or a story will trigger something in a listener. An aha moment, if you will. Now on occasion, those listeners will submit their own explanations as to what may have transpired. This is one of those times. An anonymous caller recently submitted what she believes to be the source of a mysterious plane crashing sound heard in Chicago. A call that was originally submitted by Ray back in episode 7 of this season. Here is that explanation. Yes. Hi. Um, I live in uh, Illinois and I'm just calling because I may be able to shed some light on a mystery call that you got. Season 5, episode 8, the gentleman who lives in Illinois and lives between two main airports. I uh, just wanted to clarify that around the same time that he was mentioning that mystery sound he heard around his house, that same time, my daughter lived behind Midway Airport, and she had just gotten home. My grandson called me very excited that um, it was extremely um, crazy, but my daughter told me that they saw three big Black Hawk military helicopters landing in Midway Airport. And she said it was so massive and intimidating when they looked out the window that they saw these massive big machine um, flying objects, but they were Black Hawks from the military. It would shake her house because that it just seemed like it was going to be wartime. That's how scary it was. And the noise was massive, and the vibration 
that it would create was intimidating. My grandson was extremely excited. He, he saw military and he's so infected with military, since we're a military family, that uh, they called me. But just wanted to clarify that it coincides with the time frame and the area that um, the gentleman mentioned he heard this humming, weird sound. It could have been the three big uh, Black Hawks that landed in Midway Airport. And that is extremely rare. My daughter lives there and she's never seen it or anything. But this was the first time. So I hope that helps. Thank you for calling in. I can certainly see how a few large machines, such as Black Hawk helicopters, could produce sounds that could be mistaken for a crashing plane. Especially in a large city such as Chicago. I'm sure residents there are not used to hearing these monstrous vehicles, and the reverberation off the large buildings probably also add to the confusion. Of course, I cannot definitively say if this explanation is correct or not, but I do applaud the effort at finding the truth. So thank you again, caller, for sharing. Alright, our first call of the evening comes to us from Allen in Texas. Hi Derek and everyone else, uh, this is Alan from Texas, <clears throat> and this uh, story isn't very scary or even really very spooky, but it's something odd that happened to me once and I thought it was kind of funny at the time. Uh, back around the year 2000, I lost a job that I'd been working at for several years and I went through several short-term jobs before I found something else that I could stay with, and one of these short-term jobs was working as a security guard. And I did it for about a month at a place that's known locally as the Pickwell Building. And if you want to, you can uh, look it up in your search engine of choice. Just look for the Pickwell Building in San Antonio, Texas, and you should be able to see some photos of it. Now, one, thing, uh, one strange thing about this building that isn't paranormal or s supernatural at all is that uh, the design wasn't very good. And before it was too late to change anything, they discovered that the walls kind of sway a little when there's a strong wind. So they had to build this, like a steel girder exoskeleton around it to support the walls. And if you look up a photo of it, you can see what I'm talking about. So it's this big, <clears throat> more or less cube-shaped three-story building with this steel ex exoskeleton around it. So uh, I always worked the day shift when I was there, and I never saw anything during the daytime that was strange, but uh, most of the other guards would rotate through a night shift, and every one of them who had ever worked the night shift believed the building was haunted. Now during the daytime it was full of people and lots of activity, there were five guards on duty all day long, and at night it was locked up. And uh, everyone went home except for just one guard who sat there locked in at, at the front desk all night long. So in the morning he could um, start getting the building ready for all the employees and clients to come in. And uh, since I was expected to eventually work the night shift also, 
I was trained one time in the morning routine, but it turned out that I went to another job before that happened, so I went through this training only one time. And uh, normally I would get there at 8 in the morning to start the day shift, but this one time when I had to go through this training, I got there at 6 instead, so the night guy could show me the walkthrough. So he let me inside, and about 6.30 we did the walkthrough, and it was really strange because... Uh, you know, I was used to seeing this building just full of people and lots of activity. And then this time I was seeing it dark and completely empty, so that was spooky, you know, because to me, places like that, when they're empty, they always seem spooky. So we went through this. It was like going through a maze. I just followed him through all three floors. All the lights were off, and there were lots of internal doors that were locked. So he went through unlocking doors and turning on lights so everything would be ready when the people started coming in. I didn't think I would ever be able to memorize how he walked through that place, but like I said, I didn't have to because I got another job pretty soon. So anyway, <clears throat> this guy was absolutely positive that the place was haunted, and he, he said he had seen things, but he never really specified what he had seen. So uh, we finished the walkthrough, and there was still like an hour to kill before we had to unlock the the outer doors so people could come in. And at some point, I decided to walk back to the water fountain and get a drink of water. Now, our desk was on the on the first floor. It was just inside the front door, and we had to walk everyone who came in the front door through a metal detector before they could get into the main building. And the water fountain was way back down the hallway like in the center of the floor probably about 50 or 60 feet away from the desk and uh, like I said it was in the hallway directly opposite from the elevator so there I was bent over the water fountain and suddenly I heard this ding behind me and then the sound of the elevator doors opening and I knew there was no one in the building but me and the other guard and he was still at the front desk so my first thought was, what the? And then my second thought was, oh, please, oh, please, let me see something weird. So I slowly turned around, and there was just an open, empty elevator. And then after a few moments, the doors closed, and that was that, and I felt kind of disappointed. So I got back to the desk, and I told the other guard what had happened, and he said, oh, that was just Casper checking up on you. <laughs> So that's the story. Thanks. Thank you, Alan. I'm going to do something for the first time ever on this show. I'm going to call someone a liar. Alan, you, sir, are a liar. What happened to you is all kinds of spooky. I have no idea what you're talking about. If I was alone in a factory and an elevator opened up behind me, you better believe I'd be at least a little bit spooked. Apparently, Alan is a braver man than I am. But, in all seriousness, I'm wondering if the veteran guard flipped a breaker or something that activated the elevator for the day. Just didn't tell Alan. Or is it possible that the elevator simply cycles through every few hours? Or, perhaps, they used it earlier and it simply defaulted to the floor that they were on? Or, maybe, just maybe, there's a more spooky explanation. Either way, we certainly appreciate you taking the time, Alan. Thanks again. Up next is a spooky tale about yet another nighttime visitor. This is an anonymously submitted call from the state of Texas. 
Hi, I'm from El Paso, Texas, and I've had several sightings growing up, but there's one in particular that's haunted me for years. In about 1998, I was 10, and we lived in a two-story house. My cousin had stayed over one night because we were playing Barbies until late, and we finally went to bed around 2 a.m. She fell asleep right away, and I stayed awake as if I was waiting for someone or something, and my room was on the second floor right next to the stairs, so I could see who was coming up the stairs. It was late and everyone was asleep and I kept looking towards the stairs as if I was expecting someone when all of a sudden I saw a man wearing all black. He went up the stairs and stopped right in front of my bedroom door and just stared at me for, I don't know, it seemed like minutes and then walked over to my parents' room and just stopped there. He didn't go in or anything and he just stopped and turned around and he kept walking around the balcony upstairs and... He walked to my room again and stopped at the door and stared at me and I, I was just so paralyzed with fright. I couldn't move or yell or anything and he then walked down the stairs and I never saw him again. That night after he walked away and I was able to finally move, I tried to shake my cousin to let her know what had happened but she was cold. Cold as if she was dead and she would not wake up. And I stayed in my room until I could see the sun. And as soon as I saw the light, I ran into my parents' room to let them know what had happened. And, well, they didn't believe me. But, anyways, I knew he was a man. But he looked more like a dark shadow. And, till this day, I can still see the man in black when I close my eyes. Thank you very much. Thank you, caller. Now, outside the obvious strange activity in this story, there is another aspect that caught my attention. When the caller mentioned that she stared at a spot for some reason only to have the bean show up in that spot. I hear about this all the time, and in fact, I do it all the time. Albeit, not in a paranormal way. If I'm stopped at a red light, I kind of stare off. I usually pick out a distant point while I wait for the light to change. Sure enough, a lot of times, something interesting will happen in that spot while I'm looking. For example, I'll stare at an obviously rarely used side door on a business only for it to suddenly open to have people pour out. Something that you can tell just normally doesn't happen. I certainly don't have the answers, but I do have a question. Are we meant to see these things, or is this all completely coincidental? Thank you again for taking the time to share your story, caller. It's been a spell since we've had a Shadow Man call. On to our next submission. It's a written one. This one's Eve's story from the state of Oregon. Hello. Shortly after I moved to Portland, Oregon, I was working at a veterinary clinic on Northeast 82nd Avenue, and I lived with my boss and her wife. As my boss and I were going home after work one day, we stopped at a red light that happened to be on an overpass of the max stop. So there is a lot of foot traffic on this particular crosswalk. We were sitting there in the car as pedestrians crossed the street, and then one last pedestrian started to cross the street from the right to the left. It appeared to be a woman, and the reason I am saying it will become apparent in just a moment. It was pretty thin, and it was wearing brown sandals, a white knitted halter top, and white shorts. It walked across the street until it was right about in front of our car, and then turned to look back at us. Two things happened at that point. It was like time slowed down once it looked at us, and then it smiled. Where you would expect to find eyes and a mouth on a human being, 
there were only black voids. It continued to smile and looked at us as it crossed the street, and time continued to move slowly. Then it was past our car and it looked forward again. Time went back to normal. It was dead silent in the car for a few moments and then my boss and I turned to look at each other. We both said the same variation of, Did you f***ing see that? at the same time. And we confirmed that we both had seen. We were quite creeped out for the rest of the drive home. When we got home, we were ready to tell my boss's wife what had happened. But when we walked in the door, her wife yells, You won't believe what happened to me about 15 or 20 minutes ago. My boss and I looked at each other and then listened to her story. She was sitting at the computer desk when she had a feeling that something was watching her. She looked over her shoulder to the right and saw a human-shaped shadow standing there. And then it vanished. We then told her our story while she sat there in shock. We never could figure out what the purpose of all three of our sightings at pretty much the same time were, and I have never seen anything like that since, although I have had a few strange experiences. Thanks for your time, Eve. Thank you, Eve. That is an interesting one. The first thing that jumps out to me is the outfit the person was wearing. When you hear reports of supernatural beings, or strange people, they usually aren't wearing halter tops and sandals. So I'm wondering if this was some sort of cosplay or performance piece of some sort. But that certainly doesn't explain the slowing of time or the connection to the boss's wife at home. However, I do have another theory. What if this entity was somehow protecting Eve and or her boss? By slowing down time, they avoided an auto accident or something similar. Is that how the wife was connected? Of course, I have no evidence to back this up, but it just seems like an obvious motivation for something acting the way this thing, for lack of a better word, did. It's very strange. Thank you again, Eve, for taking the time to share. Our next call involves an equally puzzling situation. This is Sophie's call from Canada. Hi, uh, my name is Sophie. I live in uh, Quebec. Canada and this story happened in 2008 to my uh, to me and my boyfriend so we decided to have a night um, just relaxing and watching TV and ordering some takeout food and uh, so the takeout uh, eventually arrived and we decided to install uh, everything in the living room and uh, just lay on the couch and watch TV while we had our food so I emptied the brown paper bags and uh, put them underneath the um, living room table so uh, we could have some more space on the table to put our um, our dishes. And uh, we just started eating, just looking at uh, the TV show and not really stressing about anything. And um, probably 15 minutes later, See, there's something that passed underneath the um, living room table that made one of the brown paper bag just fall, but also move uh, a few inches. So it was like it was like a cat just ran underneath the table and just made the paper bags the paper bag and move and fall. So I turned around and looked. And kind of trying to, you know, a bit startled trying to figure out what happened. And I'm like, am I the only one that noticed it? So when I turned to look at my boyfriend, his face was absolutely just white and in shock. 
looking in the same direction as me. So clearly he also saw what I just saw. And I asked him, did you, and before I could even finish my sentence, he just got up very quickly and said, what was that? What was that? And I said, I have no idea. And he just left his plate there and went into one of the back rooms and locked himself. And he said, I'm not coming back in that living room. And I went back and tried to figure out what happened and couldn't. I have no idea what made that bag move and what made it fall and what ran through. We didn't have any mice. We didn't have any uh, any vermin. We didn't have anything that could have done what it did. And to this day, I have no idea um, what it could have been. So anyway, my boyfriend still doesn't want to talk about it. He's still terrified. And uh, <laughs> he... Uh, but he definitely got startled, just just like me. <laughs> anyway, so that's my story, and I hope uh, you enjoy it. Thank you for that podcast. It's really nice, and it's really uh, entertaining. Bye. Thank you, Sophie. When it comes to lightweight objects moving, you have to be very careful to explore all your options. I can sit an empty paper bag on the counter and blow on it, and likely get it to fall over. In addition, drafts, fans, pets, slippery or wet surfaces, and even people walking by can move lighter objects with relative ease. On the other hand, has the home produced any other strange activity that would correlate with this odd occurrence? If this happens to be the only incident, then perhaps this was simply some sort of coincidence. Thank you again, Sophie, for taking the time to share all the way from Canada. I have several other stories to share with you, but before I launch into the next one, I want to remind everyone that if they have a story to share, you can do so by calling the hotline at one 888-608-9. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab. And remember, if you're willing to have your story played on the Patreon episodes, please say so at the beginning of your call. Okay, so our next story takes us south to Texas. This is Abner's story via the state of Florida. Yes, uh, my name is Abner. Um, I live in Florida currently, uh, Palm Bay area. Um, I used to live in Texas, and this uh, incident occurred in Texas. Um, I worked security, and I was working security then. Um, I worked for a big automobile industry. Um, won't mention the name because I don't want to put anybody out there. But um, one night I was working one of the sites, uh, one of their parking lots where they uh, store a lot of vehicles, and they actually have a garage here where they make repairs. Um, I was just hanging out, and uh, I've been there a few times, and one time I was told that it was haunted. Of course, I didn't believe it at first. I was skeptical about things. Um, so, you know, one night I'm just sitting there, I'm front there, and all of a sudden there's these two big bushes in front of me in the main lobby. The one on the right-hand side literally gets, like, an invisible force squeezed it close, all the way bent in, and then it bends over all to the left side, like, literally just bent over at, like, 45 degrees or more, probably. And I'm like, uh, what's going on here? But I'm just thinking this to myself when I realize 
oh my gosh, this has got to be the ghost. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that was my first incident. And I would say about maybe a month later, I'm sitting at the same front desk in that lobby, and I'm, you know, typing away, writing my report, and I hear my name. Loud as clear as, clear as day, I just hear my name. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This got to be this ghost thing or whatever supposed to be. Again, <laughs> um, there have been people there that have seen, like, car doors left open and they're closing and the area is enclosed in the gated area. Um, and people just notice the doors get locked and they open it up again and they're open again and they have to close it again. So it's been interesting. Well, anyway, that's my story. Um, thank you. Thank you, Abner. I'm wondering if there's any history to this area. Is the building old or has it seen tragedy? Perhaps the land itself was witness to something horrifying. In addition, I'm wondering if the wind or some other natural element could have moved the bush in that strange manner. I have an example that probably won't solve this mystery, but might make us think a little bit differently about it. The other day I was doing some yard work when I noticed a small plant on the hillside moving. This plant was probably 12 to 16 inches tall, and it was bouncing back and forth while all the others around it held perfectly still. There was no wind to speak of, and no spider webs I could see that might be pulling it. But as I grew closer I realized there was a gopher under the ground chewing on the roots of this plant, causing it to dance wildly. So as you can see, sometimes there's a logical explanation, even if it's almost equally unbelievable. And thank you again, Abner, for sharing. I have a question for you guys. Do you love the show and want more? Then why not sign up for Monsters Among Us Beyond? That's what I'm calling the bonus episodes found on Patreon. Each month I release two bonus episodes and an investigation video, all for the low price of $4 per month. To sign up, head over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, and search for Monsters Among Us. As a bonus, when you sign up, you have instant access to all the past content. So there are three episodes and a video just sitting there waiting for you. Now a huge thank you to all those that have already signed up. Your bonus episode is coming out Monday or Tuesday, and your bonus video will follow about a week later. I'm taking a short trip to film this one, so it should be good. Okay, back to the program. Our next tale is a bit of a weird one. This is Salvador's call from California. Hey guys, how's it going? Um, been a big fan. Uh, I've been listening to you since you uh, changed the name, actually. Um, but um, uh, my name is Salvador, and uh, I'm from the Bay Area. Um, the story takes place in uh, the East Bay, um, actually. I was living with my uh, then girlfriend. Um, in Union City, and uh, we rented a room in a um, in sort of like a uh, townhouse, a two-story townhouse type place where there's like a bunch of uh, cookie-cutter townhouses, and uh, um, there's like little walkways. It's uh, one of those places where you drive in and uh, you park your car, and there's like like. 20 to 30 of these townhouses and to get from one townhouse to another you need to go through walkways and the walkways have hedges and i'm sure everyone knows what i'm 
talking about. <clears throat> Anyways, um, this particular night that this took place, um, probably about 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, wasn't raining. It was just a normal everyday night. I wasn't drunk or wasn't on any substances. And um, I'm a smoker. So uh, I go um, outside you know, to have a cigarette before bed. I'm outside having a smoke, and uh, I'm at my, where the front door is, and uh, the way I just, the way our front door was, it uh, was right where the walkways are, so there's, there's hedges, um, hedges on the side of the walkways um, in front of each person's place, if that makes sense. So uh, across the street, for example, there would be uh, a hedge and then you see this person's front door. And every so often there's, uh, there's uh, street lamps to light up the walkways. So I'm sitting there having a cigarette. There's nobody out and it's dead silent. And then all of a it was really bizarre because normally you hear like crickets or whatever. And it was eerily silent. And I'm a skeptic, but plausible skeptic. I'm, I'm not closed-minded, you know? And uh, all of a sudden, I see this guy walking to my left where the hedges are, right? And the hedges, you can't see the bottom half of his chest. So he's, I could see chest up. And you got the street lamps, you know, every few feet illuminating him so you could see him and he was wearing what can I only describe is a is a is a Victorian era top hat I cannot see his face it's sort of it's like nondescript it was very bizarre and when I first saw him I was like is he cosplaying or something and I wanted to get a better look at him so I, I was very interested in what he was like doing. So as he's walking, and it, it was weird because it was almost like he wasn't walking like a normal person. It was like a, like a guy gliding. I'm the only way I could describe it. And I had decided maybe he was like the smoothest dude in the world. And uh, it, this all, mind you, this was only a few seconds of this, okay? And as he's walking, in between him and I, amongst the um, hedges, right, there is one, um, one pole between us, the, you know, the, uh, the street lamp, right? And uh, he's, pass, he's about to pass that pole, and as soon as he gets, would you think, on the other side of the pole and continue walking, it's as if, like, that pole was a doorway, and on the other side of that, on the other side of that um, that street lamp, there's nothing. So, so he takes a, he takes, uh, he's walking and then he goes to where the pole is and then he just, he's gone. He doesn't come out to the other side of that pole. And I thought he was, he was messing with me. So I immediately take the four or five steps to where no longer the, uh, the hedge can block my view of him. So I walk four or five says look there's nowhere for him to go anywhere um there, there's hedges blocking for him to go 
walks to side to side, he'd have to run backwards the way he came all the way back down the park to the parking lot. Um, there's just nowhere for him to have gone. It, it, it doesn't, there is just nowhere to go. Either that or he's, there's nowhere to go. It's not logically at least. Um, and it tripped me out. It, I was, I, I walked actually the, the length of the walkway. Um, and I, I saw this guy clear as day. He wasn't see-through. He was, he had that weird, like kind of glide or anything. Like that, but they like, that, you know, so what? He's a smooth walker, you know? Um, but the way I couldn't see the, the thing about his face just gave me the creeps because you couldn't see it. It was like a blur. Like it was just nondescript. It was creeping me out. So, um, I, I go upstairs and, um, my girlfriend, um, I told my girlfriend what happened and the people, uh, she, you know, she, she got freaked out by it a little bit, but, uh, the people we were renting from, uh, were, was a Filipino family and they were, they, they, um, they believe in a lot of like spirit spirits and stuff like that. So it really freaked them out. And I was telling them, I don't, you know, maybe I, I, I actually had no idea what I could say. Maybe it was just some guy, you know, because I just didn't want them all freaking out thinking, of, you know, we're haunted or anything like that. So fast forward uh, a couple weeks later, um, our, uh, I wake up to um, smoke in our, um, we, our room was in the top, uh, up top, um, second story of this townhouse and I wake up to smoke and our dog barking and uh, we realized that our kitchen's on fire so we grabbed uh, what was important to us and we, we ran outside come to find out out of the sheer blue and this is what they said somehow our stove because um, they like to fry a lot of foods they had a, a pot of oil just sitting there on the uh, thing, but the stove was not on. Uh, they cooked it in the afternoon. This happened at night. They weren't, nobody was cooking at night. All of a sudden, apparently, I didn't see this, but the stove turned on, turns up this oil full blast, starts an oil fire. And from there, um, sort of started our whole kitchen on fire. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, also, I was unaware, uh, we, after getting to talk about it some more, like who started this fire and what happened, um, the family had been telling me that the little boy had been, see, I'm a skeptic, so this is like hard for me to like process. Um, the little boy had been terrified of, he's been, he was seeing ghosts or whatever. I'm not entirely sure. And I'm not even sure that two of these are related, but that was sort of how everyone was feeling that it was, that that there was some entities in this house. And that was what I had seen. You know, I don't speak to that particular girlfriend anymore. Um, and I ended up moving out after the fire and we all went our separate ways. But anyways, man, um, yeah, sorry I couldn't give you more of what, they saw and what they uh, heard but after the fire well that was kind of it but uh thanks man i love the show and uh but uh thanks a lot man thank you salvador 
This story reminds me of two things. The first is that the entity witnessed remind me a lot of Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin. The disappearing behind a pole trick is surely a classic of theirs. The second thing that it reminded me of was the curse of the crying boy. For more on that, here's YouTube user Scare Theater. Back in the 1950s, an artist named Giovanni Bragolin created a series of paintings known as The Crying Boy. As the name suggests, these paintings all consisted of young boys crying. Bragolin painted more than 60 of these paintings, and until the early 80s, these paintings continued to be reprinted and sold. The painting became very popular, especially in the UK, where over 50,000 of these paintings were sold. In 1985, a British tabloid newspaper called The Sun published a story with the headline, Blazing Curse of the Crying Boy. The story was about a couple from Rotherham named Ron and May Hall. A chip pan caught fire and spread to the rest of their house. Despite all the damage caused by the fire, the only thing that remained undamaged was the crying boy painting that they left in their house. Furthermore, a firefighter in Rotherham claimed that he had seen at least 15 house fires in which one of the only things that was not burned was the crying boy painting. Later on, the Sun made a follow-up article detailing the many reports of the other people who claimed to fall victim to the curse of the crying boy painting. Eventually, this got so out of hand that the Sun told everyone who was concerned about the painting to send it to them so they could destroy it. On Halloween, a huge bonfire was held to burn all the paintings of the crying boy in hopes to get rid of the curse. There were even other weird methods to get rid of the curse, such as hanging a picture of a crying girl next to the crying boy painting. Several stories began to circulate about why this painting was cursed. Some stories said the painting came from a gypsy family that put a curse on it, while others claimed the child died in a fire and a spirit was trapped in the painting. One of the most popular stories is about a child named Don Bonillo, who was adopted by the artist who made the picture. Bonillo was known as the Devil Child because there would always be a mysterious fire that broke out wherever he went. One day, the artist's house burned down, and the artist kicked Bonillo out of the family, believing he was responsible. Years later, just outside of Barcelona, a car crashed into a wall and caught fire. The driver died and was burned past the point of recognition. The officers investigating the crash found his ID in the glove compartment and identified him as Don Benio. According to the legend, his memories haunted the crying boy painting. Since this whole event happened, people have looked into this in an attempt to find an explanation behind all of this. As mentioned before, thousands of these paintings were sold, and they weren't too uncommon to find inside of someone's house. For this reason, some believe it was all a coincidence. The fire just happened to break out normally, and because the painting happened to be in a lot of these houses, people saw the pattern. Fire service investigations further support this theory by pointing out that all these fires had a straightforward explanation, such as faulty electricity or people carelessly discarding cigarettes. One thing that is not explained by this, however, is why in all these fires, the paintings always survived, mostly unscathed. The Chief Divisional Officer of the South Yorkshire Fire Service revealed that the Crying Boy painting was printed on high-density hardboard, which is difficult to set fire to. In addition, a British writer on a BBC program called Punt P.I. investigated this by setting fire to one of the paintings, and it didn't burn. 
in order to enhance the scientific credibility of this test, we're actually filming this. It's quite a big flame. The flame is now about two feet high. The painting had a hole in it from where the fire had touched it, but the flames hadn't spread. But you'd have to say that fire is pretty much going out. He believed this is because the paintings may have been coated with a varnish containing fire repellent. I'd also like to add that if the painting is cursed, it must not work all the time since there are people now that have had the painting for a while and claim that nothing bad has happened to them. Seeing all the natural explanations for how this all could have happened makes it pretty easy to consider that nothing paranormal was going on here at all. Still, it would be interesting to compare the frequency of house fires at the time before the paintings were burned and the time after the paintings were burned. So it seems that although spooky as all get out, there might just be a logical explanation to this decades old curse. To watch this clip and see images of these infamous paintings, head over to the show notes for the link. Thank you again, Salvador, for taking the time. Our next story is a short written submission from Reginald. Hi. A few days ago, I began to hear a sort of whooping sound coming from up the hill near my home during the night. The first time I heard it, I thought nothing of it, honestly, but it seemed to keep happening every day around 8pm until the night of April 14th. That night, I decided to go out on my porch to see if I can hear the whooping again. However, all was silent. All I could hear was the splash of rain as it hit the roof and the porch. A bit disappointed, I sat down on a rocking chair and decided it was content with just hearing the rain. After about 30 or 40 minutes, around 9.30pm, I heard one loud whoop that differed in tone, going from low to high. This whoop made me jump up from my chair. I looked up the hill, trying to see what had made the whooping sound, and as I stared up on the hill, I noticed something pure white moving in front of a tree. I ran inside to get my flashlight, and when I got back outside, I pointed it up the hill, hoping to get a better view of the quote-unquote animal. Though when I shined my light up the hill, and all through the tree line, I saw nothing. Then I heard something moving near the other side of my porch. When I put my light toward it, I saw something I'll never forget. When I pointed my light, the creature spun around as if I had scared it. It stood about nine feet tall and had two black eyes and an oval-shaped head, with a long neck attached to a large, fat body with two long arms. Now, I'm not sure if anyone else has seen something like this, and honestly, I kind of hope that I'm the only one. Thanks for your time, Reginald. Well, thank you, Reginald. Any longtime listener to this program will know that there have been several white Sasquatch-like creatures witnessed across the country. I've covered a few here, including the very famous Lake Worth Monster in Texas. And without jumping to any conclusions, that sounds like what we are dealing with here. Now that is assuming that Sasquatches are in fact real. The size and behavior is in line with Bigfoot sightings, yet the detail regarding the long neck throws me off a bit. I've yet to hear of a Sasquatch description that detailed a long neck. Another aspect of this sighting that makes me lean in the Bigfoot direction are the whoops that Reginald described. For a little refresher, here are some supposed Bigfoot whoops recorded in Kentucky. These sounds were captured by the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization back in December of 2017. The clip is short, so I'll play it twice. That's good.
That's good. So, Bigfoot or not, I imagine running into a creature with this description was quite traumatizing. So thank you, Reginald, for sharing it with us. Okay, I have one more story to share with you, but first. I know you want Monsters Among Us t-shirts, koozies, and decals. So head over to the shop tab on the website to pick up yours today. And if I don't have your size in stock, let me know. I'll put in an order soon and get those in for you. Also, I know I've been teasing this a bit, and to be honest, I completely forgot. But the ringtone should be available very soon. That's something I'll be working on in the next couple days. And for this next announcement, your fearless moderator. Psst. Hey. Hey, you. Yeah, you over there. This is Addie with the Monsters Among Us Facebook fan page, and I want to make sure that you are part of the fun that we have from Thursday to Thursday when we are waiting for a new episode. We keep it all kinds of weird and spooky, so please come find us. Just search Monsters Among Us Facebook fan page, and you will find us and just click join. We'd love to see you. Thank you. So yeah. Be sure to join the Facebook group and like the page on all the social media outlets. And lastly, I've had a few generous donations submitted this past week, so I want to send out a huge thank you to Aaron A., Eliza or Eliza C., and Kimberly B. Thank you all so much for your contribution. You have no idea how much it helps out. Alright, now for that final story. I've been sitting on this one for a while, hoping something else would pop up I could compare it with, but thus far nothing really has, and frankly, it's too good not to share. So without further hesitation, this is Jeremy's Call from Parts Unknown. Hey Derek, my name is Jeremy, and I'd like to start by saying that I have enjoyed every second of your podcast, uh, dating all the way back to the first episode. Keep up the fantastic work. With that out of the way, I have a submission for you. I remember that it was a cloudy day in early autumn. I believe I was about eight or nine. My family were all piled in the car headed to a relative's house. My mom's cousin lived about an hour away from the city, and he owned a ridiculously large amount of land. He had finished building his new home on this land and invited all of his family over for a huge dinner. We were all in quiet awe as we parked the car in front of this near mansion. The closest neighbor was about a mile away and was not within eyesight due to the hills and thickets of trees. Going inside, we all broke out into our areas. At family gatherings, the women all congregated in the kitchen, the kids would be in the den or living room, and all the men were around the TV. The kitchen was right next to the giant family room which allowed the adults to keep an eye on the kids. The room was long and ran almost the full width of the rear of the home. At one end was the TV and sitting area with couches and lazy boys, and the doorway to the kitchen was at the back next to two large patio doors. Many of the kids were outside playing as our cousin owned three large friendly dogs. Two of them were mixes, one whitish brown and one solid black. There was also a fully grown German shepherd that kept the other two in line. All three dogs had the luxury of free roaming the rear of the property. 
Now just past the patio there was a yard a little shorter than a football field with a downward slope. At the far end of this huge open field was a tree line of undeveloped forest area. All the kids went wild having that much space to do whatever it is kids do. Dinner was served and just before everyone had finished it started pouring down. The rain didn't last long but it served as a sufficient incentive to keep all of us kids inside. Most of the adults took after dinner naps or went to the finished garage to play cards. The kids went to scavenge through their cousins' video games. I was interested in the games at first, but was immediately outranked by my older cousins. My plan B happened to be one of my Transformers that had curiously made its way into my coat despite my mother's insistence that it not make the trip. I found my way to sitting at the door to the patio. A few of the younger kids were asleep on the carpet, so I was sure to be quiet. I looked out the door as the rain began to let up and the sun came cutting through the clouds. The three dogs came from the right of the door, yawning and stretching. Apparently, they had taken after-meal naps as well. Uh, it was late afternoon now, and despite the sun being out, the clouds remained dark and gloomy. One of my younger cousins woke up, and we took turns playing with my transformer and watching the dogs run around outside. What happened next is difficult to describe. My cousin was playing while I watched the dogs run around. I saw them head toward the woods and run back and forth. They ran back to the far right side and stopped rather abruptly. They then began sniffing around the ground in one area. From where I was watching, I couldn't really see, but it, I could just barely hear. All three dogs were barking loud and furiously. Their heads and tails were high, and they were all looking at the same spot toward the woods. That's when I saw a man. At least in that moment, I thought it was a man. It was tall, nearly as tall as the top of the tree line, and towering over the dogs. It came from the right side of the woods and moved toward the left. Its strides were long and deliberate. The arms swayed in rhythm. The dogs were going crazy barking and jumping at this thing as it moved. What let me know that what I was seeing wasn't a man was the fact that it looked so strange. It was jet black, not shiny or matte black, but pure dark. I could see no facial features or fingers or eyes or anything that would tell my brain that what I was seeing was a person. I was fixated. My mind couldn't make sense of what I was seeing, but I couldn't move my eyes away. It just moved at a steady pace until it reached the woods on the left side of the property. And then it just stopped. Even weirder is that despite it not walking, it was still moving. At least the surface was moving. It was still in the shape of a person, but it wasn't static. I used to walk to the corner store, and they would put your purchase in a black plastic bag. Many people would drop the bags, and they would linger and get caught on my legs and feet on the walk back. That's what it looked like, as if a tarp of inexplicably black fabric had gotten caught on a giant. The thing turned its head toward one of the dogs and looked to raise its arm toward it. I could feel every hair on my body stand on end as my stomach fell into my lap. I felt a small hand grab my arm and felt a head bury into my side. I looked down 
to see my young cousin holding me, sobbing quietly. I looked back up, and the thing was gone. Just like that. It wasn't there anymore, but neither was the black dog. I grabbed my cousin and asked him very quietly, did he see anything? He gained enough composure to nod his head yes. I could see his face contort as he tried to ask me what it was. I just shook my head at him, telling him I didn't know. I couldn't console my cousin and he broke off running toward his mom, a sobbing, hysterical mess. I could hear the adults asking what was wrong, but he couldn't get it out. I did the only thing I could do. I curled up on the floor near where my mom was sitting and forced myself to play like I was asleep. I couldn't get the image of the black figure out of my head. I kept trying to think of ways to dismiss it as something else. My heart was throbbing in my ears and I couldn't stop shaking. About an hour later, I could hear a lot of commotion coming from the garage. Apparently, our cousin had gone to throw away some trash and took the opportunity to check on his dogs. He found them. All three dogs had made their way back up to the house, but their exuberance had dissipated. The black dog was laying on its side, breathing very heavy and very slow. My cousin came back into the house in a rage. He accused the kids of doing something to his pet. He demanded that everyone leave as he loaded his injured pet into his car to rush it to the vet. His wife stayed behind and assured everyone they were more than welcome to stay. About an hour and a half later, my cousin came back, minus his dog. He was visibly more relaxed, but still worried. He told us that the vet claimed the dog was dehydrated and apparently taken a hard fall. Our cousin assumed that the dog had just taken a bad tumble, as it was unreasonable to assume a kid could throw a dog three times its size. My throat sank into my stomach, and my mouth dried. I looked towards my young cousin to see if he was going to say something about what he saw. He couldn't get a word out, of course, as the combination of his thumb, his mom's bosoms, and his loud snoring made it impossible. I felt horrible, and for the rest of our visit, I didn't speak much. A few kids were even going to spend the night, but not me. It would be a week before I mustered the nerve to tell my mom. Honestly, it was just last year that I told my wife. I don't remember being afraid so much as just feeling dumbfounded and oddly disturbed. I felt like I was seeing something that I had no business witnessing. Fast forward a few decades, and I'm just as ignorant today as I was then. My cousin remembers freaking out about something, but doesn't really remember the cause. I know memory can be fickle, and our minds can reach into our imagination to fill in the gaps, but some things just burn into your mind and force you to always remember. Well, that's my story. Thanks for letting me share it. Thank you, Jeremy. A few weeks back, we had a call about a tall, cloaked figure in an Illinois graveyard. Aside from that comparison, I have no idea what this could have been. My first guess would have been some sort of Halloween prop, be it a puppet or perhaps a man on stilts, but I find it very unbelievable that either of those things could pick up a dog and throw it. So I think it's safe to rule those out. In addition, the homeowner seemed very upset about his dog, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he had nothing to do with it. So, that leaves me with the way most of these stories do with more questions than answers. So if anyone out there has experienced anything similar or even heard of something similar, please let me know. I'd love 
to try to get to the bottom of this one. Thank you again, Jeremy. That story is equal parts fascinating and terrifying. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Warren Pon Abbott. Any audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music from tonight's episode is provided by Mayu, Nature World 1986, and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. internet for everything you need speed that can handle anything xfinity delivers wi-fi speed faster than a gig go online call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today restrictions apply gig wi-fi requires gig speed and compatible x5 gateway actual speeds vary not guaranteed it all starts with an invitation to experience lexus to connect with us to see that no detail is too small to be our special guest it starts as an invitation to drive a lexus vehicle but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.